Not too long ago, Real Relatable hosted the monthly Now We Know podcast. Did you know Now We Know still exists? I'm Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. The monthly podcast where we unpack and repack our Black history as you relate it to the world of today. What didn't we learn? What do we want to learn? What do we need to revisit to establish the historical truth and not just what we were taught? We're here to learn and grow together as a community with the intention of bringing awareness to better our futures. Brought to you from the lens and life experiences of two millennials. A queer, Catholic-raised Black man. And a straight, spiritual, divorcee, single-parent Black woman. Now We Know is brought to you wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Now We Know in the episode description, but also wherever you stream your podcasts. On this episode of Real Relatable. And ultimately, what was that turning point to get better? I mean, the bottom is the bottom. You know what I mean? It, it just wasn't a comfortable situation. And then when you add into the, the, the fear of, of dying, you know what I mean? Like, it stops becoming, it stops becoming a game at, at a certain time and at a certain age. I think I just made up my mind that I had to be done with it and that I had to start making some changes if I wanted to survive. When I say I was on my own through all those struggles, like I was really like, I was really, I was on my own. Yeah, I had to deal with all that. My, my darkest times, I've always been on my own. This is Donna Green, and you're listening to Real Relatable. People often look at us and think we have it all together, but we are all facing struggles or battling various life circumstances. This podcast is to let you know that you are not alone. We're here to celebrate the wins, pinpoint moments of growth, and challenge one another to be true to ourselves. As we navigate our individual life's journeys, there's a time to break down the barrier and share so we become that much more real and that much more relatable. Hey, y'all, welcome back. This episode may be triggering for some, whether it be directly yourself or a loved one who has battled addiction. I thought it was so brave for this person to be open to a stranger who reached out on social media, that stranger being myself, um, to interview or record a conversation to share such a deeply personal and life-changing story. Um, I just happened to be scrolling on TikTok and came across this person sharing their journey of recovery and sorority. Um, and I just love to see that they were using their platform for this kind of topic. If you're new here, welcome. If you're an OG, you know exactly what this is. You know that I'm going to dive deep. I want to you know, learn a bit more and share um, so that people feel like they're not alone, basically. And so um, I want to welcome Javon Lumpkin to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. I know we're just, you know, coming through the new year and um, you probably have a lot going on. So again, I appreciate you taking the time um, to hang out with me for a little bit and, and just chat. Yeah. Perfect. So I, um, I do want to get into kind of your sorority journey, but I'm curious to know from the beginning, just tell me a little bit about like where you grew up, what home life was like, things like, things like that. Well, I grew up... Um in the housing projects in Hartford, Connecticut, Westbrook. And uh, I lived there until I was about 13. And then me and my mom moved to Windsor Locks, Connecticut, which is like a small town, about 10, 15 minutes outside of, outside of the city. So, I mean, life wasn't terrible for me growing up. It was, it was pretty good. It was pretty, pretty stable. You know, I got a great mom that held it down. She held it down, but mm -hmm. it was just me and her. And sometimes times got a little rough. You know what I'm saying? So just your mom growing up, just kind of the matriarch of your family. Um, what about your dad? Where was he? He was in, he was in prison. Mm -hmm. He was in prison most of my life. Gotcha. Do you know what for? Or was that ever like? He, he was charged with uh, murder, I believe. Oh, wow. In the, in the 80s, yeah. Okay. And so growing up with your mom, did you have siblings or was it just the two of you? Growing up, it was just us. Um, my aunt had kids. My mom's sister had kids 
that um she she didn't have custody of. So my mom and my grandma kind of s- split the responsibility for two of them. Mm. And then with um the third one, my mom took sole custody of. So that was about I was about 14 when my youngest sister was born. I call all of them my sisters because we we all grew up together. Right. I get that. Cousins, basically, but they're really like but yeah, your direct yeah. siblings because you're so close. I love that. Yeah. And um, so it was just me and them. Mostly just me and my mom, but them too. And t- until my youngest sister was born and she stayed with us full time. Mm-hmm. What was your mom like? <laughs> <laughs> My mom, favorites you know whatever aspects like what was she like my mom is hard she's tough she yeah. had to be she had yeah. to be a single black woman um raising a black child in the 90s you know what i'm saying the 90s was tough for everybody so she was hard she got things done and one of the things that i appreciate now being an adult is i i can't figure out how she did half the things that she did um christmas was always on for um, my wardrobe was always on full. And um, I mean, she just got it done. We never, I mean, it would it would be a couple couple days where there were no lights, you know what I'm saying? The heat might get mm-hmm. shut off for, for for a couple hours, you know what I mean? Maybe a week with no cable, but ultimately she got the job done. She did. She made it work. Essentially, you weren't necessarily wanting for anything. Never. Never. And, and what about your aunt and your grandma? Similar? Um, um, well, my mom's got two sisters. One passed away. The yeah. uh, mother of my sisters passed away in, um, 2006. And mm-hmm. my mom's other sister is just great. She's just, she's awesome. My mom's sister is more like my grandma. They're more like calm and cool. And, um, my mom's like the hard, the hard one of the family. So. Gotcha. And what were you like as a kid? I was I was adventurous. I was yeah. <laughs> I was out and about um figuring things out. I wasn't the easiest kid to raise, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Um I was I was getting into things that I, I had no business getting into things. I was looking for fun in all the wrong places, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Sounds like you kind of found it a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I was a good kid, but I I I was I was active. I was active. I was always a good kid, quiet, polite. My mom definitely, my mom, well, my grandma more so made sure that I had manners. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I never lacked in that department. I was always respectful, especially to adults. Um, kind of shy at first, but but uh I, I was I was active. I was getting out there. Yeah. And so Again, you know, what kind of drew me to reaching out to you to um, talk to you a little bit about what your journey's been like. I'm curious to know, like, were the shenanigans that you got into, you know, looking for fun in the wrong places? Is that kind of what introduced you to um, at least what you're talking about on on TikTok is like your sorority journey and everything. And so is that what um, started, you know, your substance abuse or whatever um, substances you used? Yeah, so while I didn't start like hard drugs as far as like heroin until uh, mm-hmm. I was about 28 years old. So I came a little bit later. I was an adult when I started doing uh, heroin. Mm-hmm. Cocaine, I was in my mid-20s when I started doing cocaine. So, I mean, the, the, t- the hard drugs didn't come until later, but the alcohol started when I was about 14 or 15 years old. What was that introduction to, like, you know, all of them? Like, how did, even at 14, and I can't say that I didn't do this myself, you know, get into, you know, some things that you're not supposed to, especially at that age. Um, what was that introduction to alcohol at 14? Well, it was just, it was what, what my group of friends is just what we were doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was, it kind of became like a, normal thing to send somebody to the package store to get us a get us some alcohol and and then drink i would say it was for lack of better things to do mm-hmm. but mm. so you weren't necessarily into 
let's say sports or like were those activities available to you through school or maybe outside of school? Is that something that um, you had access to? I was I, I'm not very athletic. I, I never <laughs> I, I'm, I've never been <laughs> I've never been very athletic. And um, the kind of things that I were interested in doing, I guess I just didn't find it. Uh, uh, like a group or a community that was in, into that type of stuff. Like I've always been a reader, like even at a very, very young age, I would be on the bookmobile and um, picking out books and I would get excited to read books, but I've never found like a group of friends that it, it just, it wasn't cool. It, that wasn't the cool thing, you know? So yeah. I kind of strayed away from that and um, just started participating in things that other kids in the community was doing. Especially in the 90s, that was like the time where, oh, you're a nerd, oh, you're a lame, yeah. you know, like yeah. all like all those things um, yeah. that it wasn't the cool thing to do to be into. For me, it was banned. Um, and so that was not the coolest thing ever. Um, and then also maybe in your case, you know, being interested in books or like, well, that's not really the jive if you will <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm happy to see that it seemed like in this day and age now kids are like it's, it's promoted more like that's more of a cool thing to do than than it was back then yeah I like that too because it seems like the you know the upcoming generations are more empowered to yeah. find what their actual interests are and, and not be forced that. Yeah, yeah, not be forced into something that, you know, the peer pressure, basically. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to fear society away from that. So we we build better humans, ultimately, you know, yeah. uh, so they can feel like themselves and not be stuck in in some world that, you know, wasn't really meant for them. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I totally understand <laughs> uh, some of that peer pressure. What was the turning point, um, I guess, in your 20s then that you were either introduced to um, or something, you know, grabbed your attention in getting into heroin and cocaine? So, well, in the, I did a lot of jail time. Um, and so I think that kind of preserved me from starting drugs earlier, even because I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not saying like. I wouldn't have started started sooner, but jail kind of preserved me. I've, I've never like got into anything like that while I was in prison. Mm. So I was released from prison the first time when I was 22 years old. And sorry, do you mind if I ask what you went for? I, I, well, I went to prison for it was a fight that someone got stabbed at. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, so I was I ended up getting a 12 year suspended sentence after four years to serve. So I served the whole four years and I was released. I ended up violating twice and doing 11 and a half off the 12. So I did 11 and a half years total. Oh, wow. So you would have gone in maybe, when did you go in and get out? I got, I went in in 2005. I got sentenced in 2005. I was 17 when I called the case. I was 18 when I got sentenced. And I got out when I was 22 and um, I went back in again when I was 25 for the three, got out and then went back in again at 28 for the four and a half. I got out when I, I believe I was, I was 33 when I, when I was released. I see. Okay. So it's like, uh, it wasn't a, con well, I know you mentioned you had violated parole, so it wasn't a consecutive. It wasn't a consecutive. But it was, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. So when in the times that you were out, what was life like? Like, was there this adjustment period to get back into the world? Yeah, I see it now more than then. I, I didn't ever really adjust well. It took a while, even after the last time I was released, to really get adjusted. I, I, I'm still trying to get adjusted, even now. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a it's a tough it's a tough process to transition from. The prison world, which is a completely different world than here, you know. Mm -hmm. So I like I still lack to this day. I'm, I'm 36 years old. I lack a lot of the life skills that come normally to people. Mm -hmm. But I'm learning those things now. You know, I'm, I'm living on my own for the first time now. So I'm kind of forced to do. It. I got to learn these things. Yeah. What are the like 
you know, call them normal to other people? What are those things that feel different for you than it would for someone else who maybe either hasn't experienced it or maybe for not, you know, for the same amount of time um, to go to prison? Well, so like, for example, making and keeping doctor's appointments for me has been like kind of stressful. Well, it was at first. I, I kind of caught on quick, but that was that was really stressful at first, you know, like finding doctors that accepted my insurance and then that were accepting new patients. And so I'm calling all around, calling all these places. And I don't I don't know how like other people deal with that. It just seems like something that people would do easily. And it was no, so- we're just as stressed out. I've moved a not a lot, but um, there is that, that same process is like, okay, this is my insurance who accepts it, who is accepting new patients. Is it close to my house? Is it close to my work or even with work? Like if you change insurance, for example, I just went through this recently over the, um, right before the holidays, I got the flu. I had started a new job in April of last year. And so my insurance changed and I go to the same urgent care. Cause I'm like, I need to get tested. Um, for it all, give me all the tests. And mm-hmm. it ended up, um, that I had the flu anyway. So when I, you know, initially called, um, to make my appointment, um, to get into this urgent care or whatever it is, get on the wait list. And, um, the lady's like, we don't accept your shirt. Anyway, it's stressful because you're like, I literally feel horrible. in the fact that I even got out the house to make it here for, you know, just trying to see what I have is stressful enough. So please don't send me anywhere else. Um, but yeah, that is, that is understandably stressful. Um, because the shit's annoying if I'm being honest. I'm glad I'm not the only, I thought I was the only one, but um, I'm glad I'm not the only one. It gets kind of tough. It gets kind of tough. Yeah. What else do you think that like maybe, uh, was difficult for you? in the transition well well, cooking is another thing that's like i'm 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 trying to really force myself to 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 start doing these things but um cooking is just we there was no pots and pans in prison so Mm -hmm. you know um i look at it and i'm like i'm gonna start tonight and then i I look at these things that i got all these ingredients and i'm like yeah no i'll just go to popeyes right down the street and you know what i'm saying we'll do this another time because yeah yeah, i'm catching the literate i'm I'm catching the literate yeah there's all there's a whole like food talk or cooking talk (laughs) that you can find on tiktok like so many easy recipes or something like that maybe that could be you know uh step by step to at least see someone else do it be like okay let's do it you know yeah I guess I'll look into that I guess I'll look into that so I don't start to death yeah what was the um maybe intrigue in using like heroin and the and cocaine like what was the the entry point and then what kept you going with it I know it's an addictive substance, but still like, how did it, were you escaping something, for example, or was it just like something you got into? Well, I think it was, it was a, it was a combination of different things. Um, with the cocaine, it was, it was more or less the environment that I was in, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And like, the, the group of friends that I was I was with at the time and the things that we were getting into, it kind of just just came just came with that um, territory almost. Yeah, yeah. So I went from selling selling it oh. to using it, mm. and um, thinking that I could do both, and then things just started going downhill after a time. Mm. You know, so. Yeah, was so, that part of the violation of parole from the uh from the, the first time? From the first, yeah. No, no, no. It okay. it was almost, but um no, it that almost ended bad for me, but it never came, nothing ever came came of the, the selling drugs thing. Mm-hmm. Um what ended up happening after the first time was I had a uh domestic dispute with my girlfriend at the time. Um, we lived together and, um, so somebody 
um, and from her family called the police. It wasn't like a big blowout or nothing like that. It's just some someone in her family found out about it, didn't like it, called the police, and I got arrested. I was released. Um, but then the violation for the for the initial case came in, and I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? I I had to go through the time. I still owed mm-hmm. them money, so it was no no way out of that. Mm-hmm. And is there like a family history of um, abuse at all? I know you mentioned that your father went, he went away, but for, you know, something completely different. Yeah. Um, but anybody else in your family, was that something that they were into? My, my, sis, my, my sister's um, <laughs> biological mom um, was mm-hmm. into, into, into that, but no, nobody else. My grandmother, my aunt, my mom, is my dad, as far as I know. No. Okay. And ultimately, what was that turning point to get better for you? Like, what did you not maybe not like about it as much? Or was it not giving you the same sort of um, satisfaction as it had before to make you decide, you know what, I'm done? I mean, the bottom is the bottom is the bottom. You know what I mean? It, It just wasn't a comfortable situation. and then. When you add into the 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 fear of of dying, you know what I mean? Like it stops becoming it stops becoming a game at, at a certain time and at a certain age. I think I just made up my mind that I had to be done with it and that I had to start making some changes if I wanted to survive. Um what did rock bottom look like for you? Rock rock bottom was homelessness, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. sleeping outside um sick a lot of the times not being able to to know where I would get that fix from uh disappointing my family you know looking terrible smelling terrible um like trying to disappear so that nobody saw me like that friends or family and and just run, running out of running out of time I felt like I was just running out of time I knew I wasn't getting any younger the lifestyle wasn't getting any easier. It was becoming more and more dangerous. I was getting into altercations that um, could have cost me my life if the drugs didn't. You know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, I mean, I was in some, I was in some, some bad places that looking at me, you wouldn't even imagine that I, that I, I was in those sort of places and mm. had no business in those sorts of in those sort of places. So after like three or four failed, failed attempts uh, at getting clean, I finally uh, reached out to my aunt who had been living in Maryland for, for years now. And she, she invited me there. I didn't know what I would do when I got here. She didn't know the severity of the situation. At least if she did, she didn't. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have that conversation. Like auntie, I got to come there and get clean. I was just like, auntie, I got to come there or, you know what I'm saying? Or this, this ends bad. So she was like, yeah, come. And, um, I came here, I live in Washington, DC. Now, initially I moved to Maryland and it just, I didn't know, I didn't have a plan when I got here. I just knew that I had to distance myself from, from the environment that I was. And, um, I even, at, at one point, I wasn't even sure if I would ever move back to Connecticut. I thought that I would just stay here until I got you know, my Baron Street and then move back. But things started going so well for me here that I can't, I, now I can't imagine ever moving back. You know, mm-hmm. this is home. So, how long have you been in DC now then? I've been in DC since last August. So okay. About five months, four months. Okay. I can imagine that the friends that you had or the people that you hung around when you were using, maybe similar circumstances of, um, you know, you're all maybe not doing the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now in your sorority journey, are you finding that you maybe lost those friends or did that encourage anybody else to start their sorority journey? What does that look like from the group of people you used to hang out with or maybe still know and still do? Well, it's, it, it wasn't too, I didn't, so when I started using, I distanced myself from that group of friends. 
You know what I mean? Like a lot of them are on the other side of the, the spectrum of that. They're like the dealers and the, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, so like I I didn't really have a ton of friends in addiction. I will always just be by myself and try to disappear or you know, fall off the scene. Um I don't Do you have think that you were embarrassed or I was. I was really embarrassed. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, really, I was I was really embarrassed. So I, I never like would go around. I think that's how people would know too, because like I'm shy, but within my friend group, I'm I'm very outgoing. And so like when people see like that I'm distant like that, they know what's up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um I wouldn't hang out with too many people while I was like that, especially when I knew that, you know, a lot of addicts like we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves no no one knows, no one can tell. But I was different. I was like, no, I, I always been been real with myself, honest with myself. And I knew, like, I'm not really looking the best right now. People are going to be able to tell. So I would try to um, just stay, stay to myself until I figure it out. Mm. Did your friends or family really, like, pull you aside or, you know, sort of try and have an intervention or say anything to you? Nah. Really? No, no, n- never. That that never happened to me. Like nobody ever tried to have an intervention. I think that they knew I was embarrassed, and they didn't want to make it make it worse. I was kind of given the space to figure it out myself, which I, I like that. Yeah, I like I like that about. I got a real strong support system, like super strong. Um, mostly family and and some friends as well, and they they really know me on a level where they're like. You know, even if they had lost faith, I think that they they thought that that would have been maybe the wrong way to go about it. I can't speak for them. I don't know. But I know that, that sure. never, nobody ever had. I never had an uh, intervention type of thing going. Not even just intervention, but even to say, Javon, what are you doing? Like it was one person, just one person one-on-one instead of like the you know group of people that are all you know crowding in I get that can be overwhelming for anything any sort of topic anything that can be like hold on and put someone on the defensive but even one person well my my mom would yell at me like a couple of times like she would she would send text messages and and yell at me for it but never uh like uh like an intervention kind of how could we fix this type of thing nobody I I never I really never had that no that's fascinating to me I don't know why I guess it is strange now that I think about I never really even thought about it but it is kind of strange yeah yeah because I would be like wait a minute like and it, different upbringings different families um, yeah. is it cultural but is it not I mean we're both black people we have certain cultural things that you know can come into play stereotypically um where it's there's maybe like that tough love like your mom was giving you it sounded like um you know she's coming down hard on you like what are you doing I'm mad at you like you I'm just assuming what she's saying just from what you said you got to clean or you got to stop da 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 Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking of like my family would be like, all right, no, let's go. It, like, it, what the well, hell? Too, like a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. my support system, they don't really have too much experience with drug addicts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, my mom had a sister, but again, that was nineties, early two thousands. It just it was a, it had a different feel to it. So I don't think anybody even knew what to say if they wanted to. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they don't really have too much experience with with dealing with that type of thing. So um, I think it was like one of those like just turned a blind eye to it and hope it, it works itself out eventually kind of things, you know? Oh, my gosh. So I, I pretty, like when I say I was on my own through all those struggles, like I was really like. I was really, I was on my own. Yeah, I had to deal with all that. My my darkest times, I've always been on my own. I'm glad that you've made it to the other side, but also sad, saddened to think about people who are going through the same struggle. Because there's a there's a difference of literally having no one, and then having people, but you're still doing it on your own. You know, 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know which is worse. I don't know if it's worse to just like literally be alone or have people that you can't even talk to or won't, you know, help pull you out of it. Uh, so I can't even fathom what that was like for you. Um, and pull, like literally just pulling yourself out to be like, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get better. Um, and you know, just want for a better life for yourself. And now, you know, living in DC, you said you have your own place, I assume you're working, or, you know, maybe you've got um, a job lined up, or, you know, to really help sustain yourself, you're gonna buy some cooking pans, you're gonna buy some more seasonings. <laughs> it still don't sound really appealing to me. But I guess I, I guess it's things that, that have to get done. Yeah, yeah. And you said that now you have a really good support system. Is it the same people who maybe just kind of let you be like with your mom and your aunt, your grandma and everybody? It's the same people. And you also got to remember that I started doing uh, drugs a little bit later than most people, a lot later than most people too. So it's another thing I I feel like it's kind of like you're dealing with a grown man that's going to do what he wants to do anyway. Yeah, It's not like one of those situations where, you know, you've been dealing with somebody who has been doing this since a teenager, since teenage years, you mm-hmm. kind of know how to tackle that. Um, I feel like nobody really knew what to do. So it was kind of just like, let him do his own thing. But once I did start taking steps to get clean, my support system definitely makes it easy for me to maintain sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, even if it's just like, hard times of conversation or like mm-hmm. and another thing is like I'm not I'm not surrounded by people everyone that I'm surrounded by now has my best interests at heart that 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 has that has been a problem with me in the past you know surrounding myself with people that um didn't really have my best interests yeah at heart so I'm like I feel a lot more love where I am in the place I am now I mean, I mean, I felt a lot more confident in my abilities to, you know, do this thing, do this adult thing and mm-hmm. correctly. And I know we just wrapped up the holiday season, but what are the holidays like, um, particularly thinking about um, maybe like beverages that go around, you know, um, during the holidays or what? Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, um, do you just totally stay away? You're not going to um, be around people who might be drinking, even if it's your family, or do they, you know, provide a space where there's not even a, a lick of temptation um, to be in the house? And my family, there's no real big drinkers anymore. Oh, okay. So my grandma's like, my grandmother is like heavy in Christianity, like real heavy. So she she wouldn't allow that type of thing in in the house at mm-hmm. all. So I don't really have to worry about being around. Um, you know, it's some friends that I have that do drink a lot, and I'll you know I stayed away from there. Um, not not only to protect my sobriety, but also it's just that type of thing is just not appealing to me anymore. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like being raised in Connecticut where there's not much to do, you think that that's the only thing to do. But after being here for for almost a year now, I'm drawn to like the arts, you know, the monuments. And it's just, it's so many other things to do that I'm really interested in that the stuff that I used to do, it's just not appealing to me anymore. I don't, I don't find it fun at all. Mm-hmm. You've grown I don't know out if of I it. ever really found it fun. I don't know if I ever really found it fun. It was more or less just something to do, you know, yeah. something yeah. to fill the time with. Hmm. If someone that you know, or even for people listening, if they know someone who might be struggling, what would be your first recommendation for them to get help? I would say so if you you have to be sure that you really want the help, you know, you have to be sure that that's what you really want to do, because it's a scary thing. You don't people don't that that have never been through addiction or never sat with anyone. addiction. don't realize how much strength that actually takes, not so much doing without the drugs, but dealing with those feelings that, you know, are going to come without the drugs numbing you. You know what I mean? So 
like the scariest part about it is sitting with your own thoughts and sitting with your own own feelings. You really have to be ready for that or it'll drive you you crazy. So I would say to like just sit down and make sure you're really ready for 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 what's about to come because it's a painful experience. It's not a great experience. Mm-hmm. And um once you do that, reach out because it's a ton of resources. You know what I mean? Everyone's recovery is different. I I didn't really have to go to a detox or sign up for maintenance. Um, but there's a ton of resources out there. Everyone's recovery is different. Some people have to go to a long-term program. If you feel like you, everyone knows their self, you know what I mean? Like if you really look at yourself, you'll, you'll figure out what you actually need to do in order to recover. If you're taking recovery serious, if you got to do a long-term program, a year program, do that. You know what I mean? But whatever it takes, because your life is literally on the line if you're using fentanyl. It's a serious thing. I wonder if they anyone could ever be prepared for that kind of journey. You know, any any sort of difficult journey of whether it be recovery or something that's hard that you have to do. Does anyone really know what that's like until you go through it, right? And so maybe there's that sense of almost complacency because if you don't have to do the hard thing and you can just stay in what you know, like that's a that could be a safer place to be mentally like, okay, I don't have to deal with like all my emotions or, you know, any, um, any, the, just the hardships that come with that. Any, are there any misconceptions that you think people have about people who are struggling with addiction or even people in their sorority journey that you'd like to um, clarify or kind of debunk those misconceptions? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a ton of misconceptions. I could I could I I could probably write a book like <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't really agree with a lot of the curriculum that they use in recovery programs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't really so so I don't I don't go to um I don't go to groups. I tried it before, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest mis- misconceptions in recovery is that people think they know what's best for the person that's in recovery. You know what I mean? Like people will tell you what you should do, how you should live in order when nobody really has it figured out whether they are in addiction or have never experienced addiction. Mm-hmm. So I would say to like to anybody in recovery to just be careful of that. Be careful of somebody telling you. I've, I've seen a lot of that when I did go to groups. People telling other people, you know, you shouldn't be in that relationship. You you don't really know, you know what I mean? And also to like family that's dealing with a, a recovering addict, um, that a recovering addict can be trusted, I think is, is another one of the biggest misconceptions. That they you know? can't be? That they can't be trusted, mm-hmm. yeah with their own recovery Mm. or, or with like, you know, a lot of mistrust I think goes on. Like people look at recovering addicts as skeptical. They don't really trust things that they're saying. And um, I mean, it can be tricky. It's going to be tricky, but you kind of got to just take what they're saying on face value instead of adding that, 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 that mistrust could lead to a lot of damage to a recovering addict, especially a recovering addict that's trying to mend those relationships that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that could be maybe be understandable of like, if it's the same person, like who was there when, you know, you were using and, you know, maybe there was some lies and deception during that time. And so then for that same person to see um, the recovering addict or the person going through the sorority and in a better place, but then they might say some things you're like, hold on. Like, yeah. is it still the truth or so that to a degree, I think that could be understandable. Um, but if it's a very new person, like, I don't know you necessarily, you know, I get to know you through this conversation. Um, but yeah, like why I have no reason not to, um, mm. not to trust you or not to at least, you know, trust what you're telling me is the truth or whatever, you know? Um, so it might just depend on that relationship of the person of each, everybody in that, um, in that relationship. What about therapy? Like, I know that's kind of the uh, evolving topic in the Black community, uh, but is therapy something that you either have considered or you are in, or was that helpful if you were? I'm in, I'm in ther- therapy. I, will, I, I highly recommend one-on-one therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been, um, 
it's it's been very helpful in my recovery, but but not even just just recovery my for my mental in general, you know what I mean? And my transition from prison into society has been helpful. It's been helpful with maintaining my sobriety. It's been helpful with me building relationships. It's been helpful with me putting up boundaries. It's just been all around. It's just been, it's just been a great thing. And I think that, um, especially for Black men, it's something that should be comfortably talked about because it's something that, you know, people shy away from or don't think that they need it. And I think on a national level, we've just been through so much the past, you know, five or six years. Mm-hmm. Everyone at this point, I think, could could benefit from a little bit of therapy, you know? Yeah. A little bit, a lot of bit. A lot of bit, <laughs> yeah. And for future, um, if this is something that you want, you know, if you have kids, is this a conversation that you believe you'll have with them at some point or, you know, or even people who have kids that are listening, how do you think that they should broach that um, before they get into maybe the wrong circles and get introduced to drugs and alcohol? Yeah, I haven't. I have an eleven-year-old son who oh, okay. he's just the, he's the he's just really a good kid all all around. He he, I, he reminds me a lot of me, but the the better a way better version mm-hmm. of me. And so I haven't had that conversation with him. Um, I don't, I really don't wouldn't know how to have that conversation, mm-hmm. but I think that it is it is important um, for kids to have these conversa- conversations, especially with things that's going on in schools now with like mass shootings. And I think mm-hmm. kids are like seriously vulnerable to having issues with everything that's going on and it's it's a different world for them than it was for for me for us like for my generation Mm -hmm. growing up it's a lot of um digital you know what I mean platforms that they they have access to they have a a lot more access than we than we ever did yeah so it's it's important to kind of like yeah have those conversations with them and make sure that they on the right track is your son in D.C. or is he in Connecticut? He's in Connecticut. Oh, okay. He stays with my mom. My mom has custody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. What is your favorite part of sobriety of who you are now versus who you were even a year ago? Um, I think my dependence on substances and other relationships is... You know, I'm like maintaining myself, not just my sobriety, but myself without depending on other people to do simple things for me, simple tasks. Like, you know, I had I would have somebody before make these appointments for me or deal with this for me. I'm learning how to do these things for myself. And that's that's been like my favorite part of this journey now is the independence that I'm developing, you know? Yeah, it's fulfilling or it can feel fulfilling yeah and, and, and also loving myself you know what I mean learning like self-care and self-love I never really noticed before that I lacked there but mm-hmm. after gaining there I, I realized that in the past I have lacked in those departments like I have a really strong support system but I'm so careful not to give other people too much credit as I would have in the past you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I appreciate everything they do for me, but at the end of the day, I'm doing these things. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, like, I had a, a high recommendation to get the job that I got now, which is my, like, I love my job. You know what I mean? It's a career. I plan on being with this company for the, I'm here for the long run, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm doing the job. I'm waking up and getting to work on time every day. I'm doing the work. I'm getting it done. I got an award for my property. Um at a company at a company function a couple of weeks ago. And um so yeah, I'm taking I'm taking credit for for my actions now because I'm in yeah. control, you know? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that's something that I would would not have done. In the past, I would just give other people so much credit and and I was really like down on myself thinking that I couldn't do it without the help. But I, I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. That external validation 
to a degree can be good, but if it's what you live for versus being able to give yourself that validation um, of what you're doing or what you're learning or what you've achieved, um, that's what resonates, should resonate more with people and um, without the external validation. Cause then you have like a, like you said, you know, maybe you depended on people differently, the sort of, um, like codependence and and getting that, uh, reassurance or the, Hey, you're doing great. Or the AOKs from other people that can definitely be misleading, um, to building your own self-confidence. Yeah. And also, um, um, right now I'm, I'm working on like being prepared to take, because I get so much praise and so much, you know what I mean? And I'm I'm aware that after a, a while that kind of dies down. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it goes from we're so proud of you to like, good job, you're doing what we all do, you're doing what you're supposed to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm preparing for that and I'm ready for it. And also like a lot of the negativity that may come in too, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like where I'm from, people may want to see you doing good, but no one wants to see you doing great, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true but where I'm, the environment that i'm from nobody really wants to see anybody doing better than them so huh yeah i'm I'm preparing myself for like people to come out of the, even maybe people from my past that i had issues with coming out and trying to like detour me from my tracking i'm not gonna let that happen so i'm kind of mentally preparing for how to deal with that when it comes because it's sure it's sure to come stuff like that is more about the person or the people who say or do those things to sort of discourage you from achieving more or not, uh, not they have to praise you, but to not just even acknowledge your achievements when you're doing so well and you're doing better. Like that's more about the person. It's not about you. Um, so as you're building your self-confidence and, you know, depending on yourself more and getting all your independence, uh, I hope that that's part of, you know, um, what gets solidified for you as well is like, Hey, that's about you. It's not about me and be able mm-hmm. to separate the two because I get it. Like that's, that can be a really tough place to be like, wait a minute, is it personal or not? Cause, and especially like, you know, your sorority in general, that's so personal, right? Yeah, um, is, yeah. so for someone to question it or someone to, um, you know, praise it to a degree, you know, only on their terms is like, hold on, like, that's a personal attack at this point, <laughs> or, you know, our personal dig. So um, I, I totally understand. Share with everyone how many days uh, of sorority you have, because I know you're you're getting close to a, another milestone. I'm getting close to, well, I don't think everyone keeps saying that, uh, that it's another milestone. But to me, it's it's not another milestone. And I'll tell you why, because well, first of all, I'm at 318 days clean today. So round of applause. Thank yes. <laughs> but so and everybody that I know, um, especially like my close friends are like, you, you're getting to a year or I'm planning to do, I'm planning something for you. Like one of my friends wants to take me to Boston for, for my one year. Mm. And it's like, I guess, but I've been breaking it down in 100 day increments. You know what I mean? mm. So that's what I've been doing. And in my head, so every hundred days have been a milestone for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for like day 400 to, I guess, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, yeah. year two. Well, I guess after I pass a year, then it'll be like two years as a milestone and three years as a milestone. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm not there yet. I'm still at 200 days, 300 days, you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. 400 days. Well, you get to the year milestone before you get to the 400-day milestone. So depending on, you know, when you want to celebrate again, it's all uh, relative, I guess. I can, I can do both, I guess. I'll, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to celebrating both. Hey, it's your journey. You you pick what you want to celebrate. I actually, <laughs> really, to be honest, I celebrate every single day because it's, it's no cakewalk, mm-hmm. you know? It's no cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Some days are harder than others, but, you know, so... I celebrate, yeah. I do. I celebrate every, every day is another accomplishment for me. Good. And not even only just not using, but not doing something stupid for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a major accomplishment. Like when I go to bed at night, I'm like, congratulations on not doing nothing dumb today, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's funny. 
days there's like some organizations who will celebrate or like truckers for example they'll celebrate you know days without an accident and you're like days without having done something stupid I yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. is there anything um any message or um any words of encouragement that you'd like to leave listeners with i think uh for it's important for everyone to focus on mental health like that's something that i really want to focus on and like try to spread awareness to mental health because it's a major issue that I think gets overlooked a lot of the times. Mental health is a serious thing. Also to anybody in recovery, keep going. You know what I'm saying? I, for one, know that it's not an easy thing to do. And I don't even have like a long history of substance abuse. You know what I mean? So I get it. Like it is tough. So I am proud of, if anyone's watching this, that's an an active addiction, get better. I believe in you. You can do it. And if there's anyone that's in recovery, I am so proud of you. I don't care how many days you got. That is awesome. And keep, keep going with me. Keep going. Cause we got this. We do, we actually do recover. That's and that, that goes back to what you said about it. It's a common misconception is that we relapse, but mm-hmm. we do recover. We actually do recover. It's possible. Recovery is possible. Yeah. And I know where I found you, but let the people know where they can find you if they want to support and learn more about your journey or you know, get some encouragement for themselves. So my TikTok is second underscore coming underscore King 23. And that's where I do a lot of my recovery. Um, That's like my recovery platform. Also have a, um, a YouTube channel where I do interviews just like you. <laughs> You're a lot better than me. I'm getting, I'm getting there. I'm learning. Um, it's under Archie, Archie Tech, A-R-C-H-I-E Tech, T-E-C-H. And um, I'm getting ready. I took a long break from it, um, especially because the holidays are so, so, so you know, in recovery, the holidays are really stressful. Holidays mm-hmm. are stressful for everyone. Yeah. And so I took a break from it and just got some things in order, but I'm ready to go back in a couple weeks. So on the 17th, I believe, I'm set to... Drop my first video that I have in a in a long time, my first interview on the Architect. The it's called the Architect Experience. And so beautiful. I'll be sure to put both of those, the TikTok and the YouTube channel, um, in the show description. And so everybody can find um that note there. And uh Javon, I want to thank you for your time um and for your willingness to be vulnerable. Um, and share your story. And I'm, I'm confident listeners will find it inspirational um, and hopefully be the catalyst to help themselves or someone that they know, um, you know, seek that change that they might need in their life um, to just do better and, and be the healthiest, best versions of themselves as you're on your journey to do. Giant. I'm getting it. We getting it. I love it. Thank you for having me. This has been, a, this has been wonderful. It's been a good experience. I should have been taking notes like she did this she did this (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you for having me thanks again all right thank you enjoy the rest of your weekend all right you too all right take care bye Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate the show and make sure that you're subscribed to Real Relatable wherever you listen. If you feel that others can benefit from this conversation, make sure you share the podcast with a friend or a family member. If you want to give me a shout on social, you can find me on Instagram at Donna Janine. Until next time, be sure to keep it real and stay relatable. Bye guys.